I, um, I, I kind of stayed parked in the book of Ruth here for this Sunday as well. Um, as I've been working through some things, it's amazing how um, you, you, a person just grows and learns and, and as you walk through the scriptures. And, and I would encourage you to take some moment throughout your week to spend some time into God's word because I'm telling you, um, the things the Holy Spirit brings to mind and memory to us is just phenomenal and amazing. And it's just a privilege to be here this morning just to share a few thoughts out of Ruth chapter 2. Uh, the last three or so Sundays we've been going through the book of Ruth and, and uh, this morning I just want to continue on that as well. I titled my message this morning, Living Beyond Maybe. I don't know about you, but I've been looking at the word maybe and it's interesting if you're to sum up the word maybe, it would be very an indecisive word. It's, it's a word that really doesn't, doesn't really guarantee anything. Um, it, it, it means it, it could be, and then on the other side, it means it could not be. Maybe. I, I remember um, growing up and going to church, and, and um, after church, I would always ask my dad, or us kids would always ask my dad, can we go out for for lunch after church, because I, I don't know what it is about when you're young and going home to eat, it's like boring. You want to you wanna go do something. And so we would ask every Sunday I can remember, and, and usually there was two answers. One was maybe, and the other one, yes, we're going to Tisarosa. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if you're familiar with Ponderosa. Well, Saskatoon had a Ponderosa, and that's where we would go. And so when he would say, yes, we're going to go to Tisarosa, I mean, the morale of, in the car just dropped because we knew we were going home. But the odd time... He would say maybe, and, and I don't know when you're six, seven, eight years old, maybe is a positive word, correct? Maybe is positive because it's not a no, but then you don't realize it's not a yes either. But when you're young, you think, oh, there's hope, there's, there's light, and it's, it's going to happen. And, and I remember asking one particular time if we could go out to the restaurant to eat, and, and we got the standard maybe. And so I thought, good, this is, this is in. I could really taste the food, and I was just excited about it until we turned into our town and drove down our drive, and I realized that that maybe was a no. And I found out growing up, more often than none, maybe was a no. Can you relate to that? Why do we use words like that? Because we don't want to argue maybe, right? Maybe, or another word that I've, another word that I've often seen and heard all, of, all through my life too is we will see. It's another one of those words that when you're young, it's like hope. But really, then you find out it's not hopeful. It's, it's the actually opposite. And so I, I think sometimes we can live our life like that in a maybe state. We're not too sure of what's happening around the corner, so we're, we don't want to commit, and, 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 and we think maybe it might turn in our favor, but we live in maybe. We live in a maybe. I don't know about you, but sometimes the, what's fostering in a maybe is, is you, you just don't know what the answer is. You just, you, sometimes, sometimes it's nice just to have a yes or no answer. No. Yes, it's easy. Maybe it's like, well, does that mean it's up for debate? Can we talk about it? It's, it's these words that really don't give you assurance. And so what I want to talk about this morning is living beyond maybe because many of us can relate to life as maybe. And, and some of us live there because we're, we, we aren't sure of our future. There's, or we've gone through experiences in our life where things we thought were going to go one way and they turned a different way, and so because of that disappointment, we don't want to commit to anything, and so we live in 
may be. It's interesting when you go through the book of Ruth, um, especially with the narrative of both Boaz and Ruth, they never lived in maybe. There, there was a sense of confidence, a sense of assurity, even though what was ahead of them maybe wasn't sure. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but there was a sense of confidence. They didn't live in maybe because maybe is limbo, but they, they never lived. And as you walk through the book of Ruth, you recognize a lot of things. And we talked about it over the last number of weeks of how significant decisions are and how often we, we act in faith and sometimes we work through, we push through things. And so I'm encouraged when I go through the book of Ruth because I don't see a bunch of maybes. Even though circumstances maybe don't turn out the way we always want them to be, but there's a certainty that somehow, in the end, God's working things out, and as long as I trust him, he has my best in mind. And I don't know about you, but sometimes hearing that statement is difficult to swallow because sometimes I don't know, I don't know if we at times believe that he has our best in mind. Because if we live that way, and we understood that to be a reality in our life, how we look at things would just simply change. I love when miracles happen. I love when God comes through and circumstances turn in my favor. I, 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 there's, a, there's something inside of me that just builds faith. It's just I'm excited, but when things don't go my way, then I begin to struggle. And I want to encourage you this morning that even in those times of uncertainty, because we know from the book of Ruth that there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of things that turned maybe not in the favor what it looked like at the start. As Naomi expressed many times when she when she first came back to Bethlehem, she said, I, I, I come back, I left full, I come back empty, and the Almighty has made my life miserable. And how she viewed herself through her circumstances and how she began to define herself by what she was going through rather than what God had declared over her. And then we looked at Ruth and how Ruth came along and she went into a foreign country. She was a Moabite and yet she still stepped into an unknown world knowing that she had no clue of the culture. She had no clue of relationships. Everything for Ruth was completely brand new. And yet what's amazed me is the fact that Ruth was willing to give that a try. She was willing to step into that. And as a result of that, we see tremendous things that unleashed in her life. And, and, and I'm reminded that sometimes if we want to step into what God has for us, sometimes we don't know the end result. We don't know what's ahead of us. But as we step into it, there's a release from heaven. And as a result of us stepping into something that we don't know, but we're following what God's putting in our life, things around us begin to unleash and open up in ways that they were never done before. Ruth is, a, is, a, is an example of, of someone that was willing to push through her own tragedy, her own difficulty, her own loss. You see, Ruth lost her husband back in Moab, in, in, in Moab and as a result of that, she was left empty-handed and, and, and then to come to a new country and a new place, a new culture, all these things could have compounded and result in her living in disappointment and a discouragement and often in despair. And I know those feelings are real. Those moments in our life, the circumstances, the things that, that seem to shift without our permission 
often can result in us being discouraged and disappointed. And even at times, if we're honest with ourselves, we even have the potential to lose our faith in those moments. But what the encouraging thing is through the book of Ruth, I've said this before, that the only time we see Ruth, the only time we see is, is, is in these four chapters. And what's amazing is the stuff that comes out of such a small book can have a lasting impact on our life. And so in those moments, God never leaves us. He shows up and sometimes we don't recognize it. And one of the challenges I made was we have to learn to see what God's doing around us because it's so easy to see what's not going on. And when I look at Ruth, I get encouraged because I see that. I see her pushing through that. Right from the time of the beginning of chapter 1 where we hear of her circumstances, then into chapter 2 when she comes to this new land, Israel, and says, I'm going to go glean from the fields. And she wasn't too proud to do that because that was usually left for people that didn't have nothing. And she stepped right into it. And as a result of her stepping into it, God began to open up things for her life. And so often, I don't know if you can relate to me, but sometimes I'm waiting for opportunities to open in front of me so my circumstances and my things in front of me can change. And I'm waiting. I'm, am, am I, how many of you ever been in an airplane where you, you, you weren't able to land right away and you had to make a few passes? You know, that, that, that whole, they call that a holding pattern. Well, I call that a boring pattern because you just do the same thing. Oh, it's like, come on, let's just land already. I haven't had too many bad experiences in airplane, but there have been a few that I would rather not repeat. But I'm telling you, the holding pattern sometimes is not fun. But due to circumstances, that's the best plan of action at that moment because you know while you're in holding pattern, things are not at a standstill. There's a lot of work going on in a, in a holding pattern. When you're in an airport and you're doing a holding pattern, there's a lot of things that are happening on the ground that we can't see because our level of flight is too high. We can't recognize it. And oftentimes we can come up with an opinion or a, a conclusion about something based on what limitedness we can see. But man, I tell you, there's things going on. When I read the book of Ruth, even though there was times that seemed like there was holding patterns, there was yet so much going on in and around their life. And, and I want to tell you this morning, God never abandons us. He never, he never steps away and says, well, you're going to have to figure that one out and I'll come when you ask me to. I'm glad this morning, church, I can tell you that God never does that. He's always there with us. Standing and walking us through these things. And Ruth is a perfect example of how God works in these things. And yeah, sometimes they're not fun. But I'm telling you, I'm encouraged when I read through examples like this and hear testimonies of what God does. So I want to challenge us. We want to begin to live beyond maybe. We want to live beyond the I'm not sure, maybe. I want us to live with, with impact confidence. Impact confidence means the decisions I make are going to change the things what I do. I don't want to be in a place, listen to me carefully, church. I don't want to be in a place where I'm waiting for circumstances to turn before I act. I want to learn to act before the circumstances turn because I want to live anticipating God's goodness is already following, not only following me, but ahead of me as I go. 
It changes things. Living beyond maybe, I'm not sure. We'll see. It's a certainty. When we walk with God, there's a certainty of it. Even though we don't see things clearly, there's a certainty. There's an unshakableness about that. And so in Ruth chapter 2, dealing with living beyond maybe, there's a few things that I just want to pull out of chapter 2 that we talked a little bit about, but I want to put it in a little different context because I think if we do that, we learn to appreciate where God has us. Sometimes I can be honest with you, I don't appreciate where God has me because I'd rather be somewhere else in process and I want to learn to appreciate what God is doing in my life. There's a few things that I think we can pull out of Ruth chapter 2 talking about living beyond maybe. I want to pull some lessons that we can learn. The first lesson that I think we can learn in Ruth chapter 2 in regarding to confidence and seeing God working in our favor, even though sometimes we don't see it, is we need to learn to recognize God's provision. I say we need to learn to recognize because sometimes when we're in the midst of situations and circumstances and decisions we have to make and and, and just the things that are going around us, it's hard sometimes to recognize where God, in fact, is providing for us. You see, I share with you in Ruth that both Ruth and Naomi came from very difficult circumstances, death of their spouses and, and, and circumstances around that. But yet when I read, I start reading chapter 2 and I begin to recognize that God was providing for both of them in ways that sometimes if we're not watching and learning, we can miss. For an example, in Ruth chapter 1, or chapter 2, sorry, starting at verse 8. Just listen to some of the wording being used here to recognize kind of the picture that's happening. He says in verse 8, Boaz went over to say to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay here with us while you gather grain. The idea here was is this. Ruth was going to follow the harvesters around and what they would drop and leave behind, she would pick up as for herself and for her family and her situation. And so Boaz recognized that this girl was following the harvesters. Boaz owned the land. He was like the landowner. And so he recognized this and he said to them, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us and gather grain. And then he says this, don't go to any other field. Stay right here for the young women working in my field. See that each part of the field they're harvesting that you follow behind them. I warn the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty... He says, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. You see, she might have not liked the fact that she was following the harvesters. But she pushed through that. And as she did, God started providing in ways that she couldn't have imagined. Not only was she following the harvesters, but then Boaz says, hey, Ruth, I want you to stay in my fields. And I've told the guys and my employees that are working the fields that you have every right to be there. And in fact, when you're thirsty, you just go up to the well that they, and you draw water. God's provision in the midst of that. It goes on a little further, starting at verse 14. Let's look at verse 14, for example. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, that is Ruth, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in our sour wine 
And so she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat, and she ate all that she wanted and still had much left over. Again, we're seeing God's provision. All Ruth was was a gleaner. Someone that would historically just mind their own business and pick up what was left from the harvesters. And here God was moving her into a position where she not only could drink, but now eat with all of them. God's provision. It's interesting. It goes on a little further here in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, Then Ruth said, this is Ruth said, What is more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with the harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Can you, can you see the picture of God's provision? He's continuing to look after Ruth. She made the step forward and God began to work in her life. Verse 23, so Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. And then she continued to work with him throughout the wheat harvest until early summer. All the time she lived with her mother-in-law. Learn to recognize God's provision. In the midst of what seemed to be a mess for her, God was bringing provision for her. God was looking after her. And I want to encourage you this. What God does for Ruth, he would do for us. He does for us. He provides for us. So often, I don't know if you're like me. Hopefully you're not because I'm strange. But sometimes I feel like I... I, I, God's blessing is poured on my life and I feel like then I have, to, I have to work for it. I need to do things to show that I'm worthy of it. And sometimes I find myself, I don't know if you do, but I find myself almost working for what God has already given me. And, and trying to make sure that I'm worthy enough to have that. And I want to encourage you this morning. God doesn't look at us as an investment. He looks at us as his very creation. And what he's poured into us is not determine who we are, but who he's created us to be. You are valuable in God's sight. Your dreams, your, 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 your hopes, your plans are all things that God wants to invest in our life because of who we are. God's provision, oh, this is a big one. God's provision is not determined about my work ethic. God's provision isn't determined by my time in the word of God and how often I pray. God's provision goes beyond that. And I don't know about you, but that's what makes me encouraged to recognize that, that God sees past some of the things that I do, and he still provides. And I want to ask him, keep me aware of what you're doing, because the more often I'm aware of what God's doing, the less I see the problems around me. It's amazing how that works. The more we see what God does in our life, the less we see that's not happening in our life. Recognize God's provision. Recognize God's provision. There's a second thing that I find in this passage of scripture that I'd like to pull out as well. And, and it's, it's, it's really simple. And this goes to Boaz and to Ruth because they both exemplified this kind of attitude. And it is, they honored the people around them. Not only did they, do we need to recognize God's provision even in, sometimes our circumstances are just, 
No, I, I don't have an answer for them. But yet God still works in the midst of that. He doesn't cause that. But he works in spite of that. And I want to be aware of that because when I'm aware of what he's doing, it gives me hope. It gives me uh, confidence. It gives me a sense that I'm looked after. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But learn to honor the people around us. It's interesting in verse 4. You have to get a grip on the Hebrew a little bit to really grasp what's being said here. But, but Boaz returns from Bethlehem and he goes to the field and he greets his harvesters. And how he greets them is very unique because it's not just simply a, hi, how are you guys doing? Glad you're working for me. Rather, in verse 4 it says, while he was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters and he said this, the Lord be with you. And then the harvesters responded, the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. You see, you can just read that, and it's just like, oh, that's great. But really, when you understand the context and, and how it's worded, Boaz valued those that were working for him. He valued them. In fact, when he greeted them that way, he was speaking prosperity over their life. And they, in turn, spoke prosperity over his life because he valued people. How easy is it to work for someone that really values you? I mean, you may not make as much money as the next person does sometimes, but how you're valued, it's like, hmm, it does something to us. And so Boaz honored the people that were working for him. And the amazing thing is it doesn't stop there because in verse 10... After Ruth was shown this favor from Boaz, she turned around and also honored Boaz and said, Ruth fell to her feet in verse 10 and thanked him warmly and said, what have I done to deserve such kindness? She said, because I'm only a foreigner. Ruth honored Boaz for allowing, allowing her to work in the fields. It was, it was an honor. They honored people. They honored each other. A little, a little further down in verse 11, it says, she said, I'm just a foreigner. And he said, yes, I know you are, Boaz replied, but I know everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and, you, and your own land to live here among the, the complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Then he goes on further. It just, it just keeps building. Verse 20, verse 20, it goes on and says, after she was telling um, Naomi of what's all happening, and then Naomi says, may the Lord bless him. Naomi told her, her daughter-in-law, for showing you this kindness to us as well as your dead husband. Honor. It's easy to find fault when things are done against you. It almost is natural. But when we have an attitude of honor, we, when we honor, we always speak well. We, we speak life. We give people significance. I've used this illustration before where sometimes we can communicate with someone and we can interact with someone and we can walk away feeling bankrupt because they've just stripped us. Or we can walk away feeling like a millionaire because they invested so much in us. Honor is one of these things that I think if we learn to understand how significant our words can be, man, I tell you, I get challenged all the time, especially when things don't go the way I want or things happen to me that I don't want happen to me. It's amazing what I can all think and all I can all plan, 
But yet when I look at Ruth, I, I not only see God's provision working for her, but I also see how they interacted with people, how they always honored people that were around them. I don't know if I'm making any sense here or not, but learn to honor the people around us. Honor means speaking well of. It means to build up. It means to encourage things. How would things change if we would sit in the coffee shop and we'd be committed to honoring people? It would change. And yet that's just an overflow of what God has invested in us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that, that I get moments in my life where I'm overwhelmed at how good God has been. And I, 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 get, I get lost in that cloud. And, and I just want to live and be an agent of the kingdom of heaven as I flow to other people to honor people. We see that in Ruth chapter 2. They honored people around us. There's a third thing that I want to pull out here. And that's the last thing that I want to pull out in Ruth chapter 2. And that's we need to learn to value the process that we're in. Let's take a few steps back and just see where Ruth came from. Ruth chapter 1, she met her husband and they got married. And her father-in-law passed away. Ten years passed and all of a sudden her husband passed away and her sister's husband passed away. And so there was lots of loss. As a result of that loss, I just, one of the things that I'm recognizing as I'm reading scriptures, I'm seeing the process that people or individuals are in, and I'm learning to value that because I've said this before, that it's in the process, the process is just as important as the end result because it's in the process that we develop and learn that we can thrive in the promise. Too many times I want the promise, but I don't want the process to get to that promise. I think I've shared this to you before that I, I, I love running long distance. And in high school, I thought I could run long distance and I was, didn't really train at all. And so I entered the provincials. And we went to Saskatoon to run. And, and I would think it was a 5,000 meter race. And I thought, I got this. You know, I really got this. And so the gun went off and I took off like a 60 meter dash. And it didn't take very long that I realized I'd run out of steam. And I used all my energy at the start of the race. I could never finish it. I just want to say that process is important. Don't, don't skip out on the process. That's what God uses those moments to mold and shape us and, and, and unleash in us the promises that he have. Learn to value the process. As I've been reading through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, I'm beginning to see the process of Ruth's journey of how God began to show up in her life in the midst of her need and how in that need God began to provide for her and all of a sudden introduce her to Boaz and, and how these other things started coming together. And as a result, then later on as we're going to read in Ruth that all of a sudden she marries Boaz and they... and, and, and the, it just goes from there. Process is important. Don't skip out on it. Don't fast track it. I like fast track. I mean, I like going to McDonald's and my food's done in 35 seconds. If it's done in 40, I wonder what's wrong. We're used to fastness. But I want to encourage you, the process is powerful because God uses it to continue to build what he has already instilled in us. Ruth was, it's amazing to watch her pattern and watch her growth and watch her experiences as God showed up and God began to move. And as a result of what God was doing in Ruth's life, Naomi was beginning to recognize God's favor. And she was beginning to recognize and say, man alive, I'm starting to see your process in what God's doing. 
And I want to encourage you that when we're in process and we honor one another, we build each other up in that process. Because I'll guarantee you that in that process, not everything is going to go well. We're going to make mistakes. I know you look surprised, but we are. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that we wish we didn't. But the beautiness, this, the beautiness of the process is that doesn't define us. Those moments are going to build us to being who God's created us to be. He will never fail us. The process. Learn to value the process. I know what it's like to have a medal put around your neck because you've achieved something. It's great. But it's amazing when you watch sports and you watch these people achieve great things. Many times they will always acknowledge the process. Do you notice that? Many times they say, you know what, I want to thank my coaches for when I was young on and they believed in me, they built in me. And, and my dad who took me out to the skating rink and put the skates on me and put me to practice and every time. And then you talk to other people. It was in the gym. I worked out and I worked and I strived and, and, and you know, never, they always honor the process. Why is it so hard in the Christian life not to acknowledge the process? We just want a miracle. All oh, those are nice and they come. I'm glad they come. But God is committed to the process in our life, to developing us through circumstances. Hard as they are sometimes. But if we look for God's provision in the middle of it, we build confidence as we journey through God's believing in us. Things are shaping and moving. We honor the people around us because whether we like it or not, people in our life are there to help us in our process. Because we can't do it alone. We can't be lone rangers. We need people in that process. So let's honor those people that God puts in our process. And lastly, let's value that moments that God gives us. Amen? Amen.